Welcome to our series called Mind Games. We want to make sure that we win and we equip our people to win the war that's going on in our minds. How many of you know that uh, the greatest war we are involved in is not the one that is in some foreign country, but it's the one that goes on between our ears every single day? Um, self-doubt, self-judgment, self, uh, just self-undervaluing and, and, and not necessarily looking to uh, the Word of God and seeing reflected through the Word of God the beauty uh, of Jesus' identity shining back at us and showing us who we truly have become in Him, who we truly are in Him. Um, and, and, and so a part of our series here is to try and, is to try and just highlight some of the things that we do that cause us to forget who we are truly so that we then stop walking in the victory that has been achieved for us already uh, but we s struggle and we keep on suffering in um, in our in our mental states because we don't know these things so it's just a it's just a real um i'm just i'm just really excited about it so I want to talk to you today about the goodness of God. And kind of the message, my message title here is, is to be restored by the goodness of God. I really believe that the goodness, believing in the goodness of God undergirds all of our um, life in the kingdom of God. Um, and, and it undergirds the faith that we have in the victory that the cross achieved on our behalf. If we forego of the conviction of the goodness of God, everything starts to crumble. It's like, the, it's like the foundational thought of who God is that helps us to experience the truth about Him in our lives. And the minute we start doubting that is the minute our lives starts crumbling. And the minute we start losing the war that's going on on the inside of us. If we believe in the goodness of God, we will be able to trust in His Word. We'll be able to have hope for the future. We'll be able to be patient in trials. We'll have intimacy in waiting. We'll have joy in tribulation. We'll have peace in turmoil. Resilience in testing. Healing in trauma. Acceptance of discipline contentment in lack and abundance and generosity in lack and abundance and you'll be able to feel again even if life has numbed you god wants to restore some people here today and that's why we have to simply talk about the goodness of god it's the foundation of our understanding of him without it you cannot experience god in truth Now, if you can't believe in the goodness of God, it's because you've somewhere agreed with a lie. It's the same lie Adam and Eve believed when the devil challenged them on what God told them. And essentially, it was this. Can you really trust God? Is God really good? We have this objection currently in life that is it's so common among um, uh, unbelievers, but it's even become common among Christians, is how can God be good if there is so much evil and suffering in this world? How can God be good? I was abused, molested. How can God be good? I lost my parents. 
or I lost a child. How can God be good if people are dying everywhere from war, starvation, poverty? If I have an illness that just won't go away. How can God be good if I just can't seem to feel close to him? If he does not reach out to me and answer my prayer. No matter what I do, I struggle to feel intimately accepted by God. I want to tell you today that evil and suffering in the world doesn't disprove the goodness of God. It merely proves the absence of God in our lives. And the absence of his principles from our lives. For where the goodness of God comes in and his principles come in, they bring life and they bring life in abundance. So I want you to think of any and every struggle that you're currently having on the inside. And I want to tell you today that you need to understand the goodness of God to be able to walk through that. To be able to, 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 to come out on the other side and even in the process remain thriving. You need a, a fundamental resol resolve in your spirit, in your heart, that you will not let go of that conviction. Because the minute you do, you lose. Now, I know that many people struggle with this concept because we are told that God is sovereign and therefore He is in control of everything. But just because God is sovereignly in charge of everything does not mean that He controls every single little activity that goes on on the earth. And this is so, so, so important to realize. God does not control every single decision that you and I make. He has created us with the capacity to make decisions. And He has created us with enough authority to be able to decide against His will. So in a sense, God, because He is sovereign, created us in His image. And therefore, we have a level of sovereignty about our own lives as well. We are created like Him, which means that we are able to self-define. We are able to self-determine. And we are able to do that in, contra in, in contradiction to His will. If God is a holy God, He does not want anybody to be unholy. So God will not cause anybody to sin. And yet, we sin. Plentiful. That means that it's not God's will. It's not by His desire. Sure, it's by His design. But that design was made for a very specific purpose. For if God did not create somebody that can self-determine, self-will, the relationship would, we would have with Him that He desired to have with us would be of absolute no value. Because if you cannot decide to reject a relationship, your acceptance of it means nothing. God wanted authentic relationship with humanity. And so he had to give us the ability to reject him. For now, when we do accept him, it means something. It means that we love him back. And that's why he created. From the abundance of love, he created for love so that there might be more relational connection, more relational sharing of this amazing abundance that he experienced. Not because he was in lack. 
there was complete harmony and fulfillment in the Godhead. The, 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 the triune God was fulfilled. But there was an abundance that they wished to share with more beings. And so they created man in their image so that there might be a connection between us and him. And so God created us out of his goodness. But that also means that we can do things that are against his desire. And so God is in charge, but God does not control every single thing that happens on earth. And that is the reason why there can be things on earth that, do, that goes against his desire, against his will, without him not being in control of the eternal destiny, of the, the end story that is, that is going on. He is still in charge and nothing will change that ever. But that does not mean that your grass won't die if there is a drought. So why is there evil and suffering in this world? Three reasons. And I hope that you, under, you, 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 you need to underline these three reasons. Take notes. Write it down. Because when you ever come to a point of suffering or, or, or calamity in your life and you need to figure out, but why did this happen? I don't want you to lay that at God's door anymore. I want you to realize that there is something else going on. There is other agents in this world active that are the reasons for these things happening. The first one is the devil. He is a real, a real individual, a real spiritual person. And his purpose is to bring destruction and to sow havoc as much as he can, as long as he can. And he tries to bring doubt about God to everybody that he can. And you know, he tried and was successful in the house of Adam. And so I bet if he was successful there, he might try his luck in your house too. To try and get you to doubt the goodness of God. To try and get you to, to, to start blaming God for things that went wrong in your life. The second reason is that this world is just, it's broken. This world does not operate according to the perfect design of God anymore. Because of our sin, it came under a curse. It is broken. And so things in this world goes wrong, not because God wants it, but because our sin broke it. And now it doesn't work perfectly according to God's desire anymore. That's why there are things like calamities and, 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 and death and destruction that, that just... Some would refer to as acts of God. Let me tell you this. That's the worst description that could have come up with those kinds of things. God, God does not send hurricanes to the United States to judge it. They are part of the broken world that we live in that, that is just a fact of life. You cannot change that. It's a, you, can, you can certainly go to God to ask for help in it. But how can you go to God to ask Him for help in those things if you believe it's His, it's His doing? Why do you even pray when there's a hurricane coming if you believe that God is the one sending it? It, it doesn't even make sense. The second thing is that people choose to disobey God. And every single time people disobey God, there's a consequence. Every single time. 
if you disobey God, there's a consequence. And they, they range from just like this small to like absolutely crazy catastrophic. We've learned this week through social media that one man can start a war that affects the lives of millions of people around the globe. Is that God? Or is that a man acting outside the will of God? You have to figure out for yourself what you are going to believe. Because where you, where you stand on that will affect your faith life fundamentally. Fundamentally affect your faith life. This world is broken. Our bodies aren't, you know, <laughs> come on now. And it's not because God is mad. It's simply because we're getting older. Or sometimes it's just because our genetics are messed up for some reason. And sometimes we just, you know, We licked our fingers, and after that, we touched. You know, before that, we touched something that was infectious, or, some, or, or something like that. <laughs> this world is broken, y'all. And and the the sooner we realize that things in this world is going to happen, because either there is an enemy that's trying to wreak havoc, or it's just a natural consequence of something that's broken. The sooner we'll stop blaming God for things that He is not involved in. And the better we'll be able to trust him within those things. The third reason why, <laughs> why bad things happen on earth is really just because we sometimes make mistakes. It takes one little mistake. The guy fell asleep behind the wheel. And now my wife is dead. Or now I'm paralyzed. I didn't do anything to deserve that. I didn't do anything wrong. One little mistake. Did that guy mean for it to happen? No, he didn't mean for it to happen. But these things we all always interpret as God must have some, you know, twisted reason why he made this happen. And if you have that perspective about God, you will struggle in the mind game. You will struggle to overcome the hurt and the damage that life has given you. Because if you cannot trust God to help you, who can you trust to help you? Get through these minutes. No, it is not God who did all these things. Sometimes we, let me say it like this, some, the more we fail to realize that God doesn't control every last activity on the earth, sorry, I need to restate that, the quicker the, we understand that God doesn't control every last activity on earth, the quicker we'll understand Bad things doesn't happen to good people because God wanted it to. It happened because of one of these three reasons. 
And God is not to blame for any of it. If you understand that, all of a sudden you are positioned again to understand the goodness of God. And to realize that God is not the one causing these things, but God is the one approaching you to tell you, can I help you through this? Can I help you overcome this? Instead, if we go and lay everything at God's feet, very soon we'll find ourselves becoming cynical. Because why the heck isn't he doing a better job at stopping these things, right? I know many of you have thought that thought before. There was a time in my life where I had to wrestle through this and come to my own conclusion on this. And every single Christian has to settle this in their heart and mind. If they're going to walk in the victory that the cross made available to us to walk in. Last week we said the stone was rolled away, but you know what? Sometimes we just choose to stay stuck in that grave. And part of you walking out there is expecting that the goodness of God is going to meet you on the other side. Expecting that God is going to fight on your behalf. In the midst of the trial or the trouble that you are finding yourself in. But the devil sold this lie to Adam that God is not good. And so often people believe that lie. But, you know, we're the good guys, right? We don't want to believe God is not good. And so... <laughs> I. It's, 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 ba it's bad for a Christian to say God is not good. And so we won't say that, but I want to I challenge your deep thoughts today. Do you really believe that? Or do you maybe sometimes think, you know, like the whole, you know, the whole two koi fish on that yin-yang symbol, in every good there must be just a little bit of darkness, and in everything bad there's always something good. And we mix these philosophies up with our Christianity and we think to ourselves, well, God must have some better reason for why I have to suffer right now. And so that's why he's causing me to suffer so that it be somewhere else something good for somebody else. You keep on living life like that and soon you'll find yourself so cynical that you can't even trust him anymore. No, well, we won't do that. We won't say God is not good. We, you know, we'll say God is good. But he gave me a sickness to teach me something. You know, we'll say God is good, but you know, he made my business to fail so that I would be humbled. Because I was becoming too prideful. I was arrogant. God is good, but you know, he didn't, he didn't save my marriage because, you know, um, I didn't deserve that woman. God is good. But he let my friends betray me. And then comes the doubt. Well, if he did that, does that really mean he is good? And now you are faced with the same challenge that Adam and Eve had to face. And you know what's the funny thing? Adam and Eve partook of that lie. They believed that lie and they ate the fruit of that lie. And it fundamentally changed the way they viewed reality. And the minute you take a bite from that fruit that the devil is trying to get you to take from, it'll fundamentally change your view of your situation. The one minute you might have hope that it's going to turn out okay, and the next minute you'll be completely downcast and feel like, man, this is never going to change. And the only switch is that your agreement 
with that lie. God is not good because God is allowing things in my life. And you won't say it because we're not supposed to say it. But deep down, that's how you operate. And because you don't believe in the goodness of God, now you have to start taking measures to look after yourself. And so you start seeing it in how people live. Oh, I need to take care of me. I need to take care of my family. They become like this. All of a sudden, those open hands go shut. Because I need to protect myself. I need to protect my future. It's all, it's all up to me because, you know, the man upstairs, he, he must not like me that much. Because he chooses to be good to other people while I face the consequences. Come on, y'all. Don't we think like that deep down in our hearts? If you have to put a but after the statement, God is good, essentially you're not believing in his goodness. There's still doubts in your heart about the goodness of God. And it's causing you to adjust your lifestyle, to adjust how you do things, adjust how you spend yourself. Why? Because now all of a sudden, because you're no longer connected to an infinite, uh, 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 unending, uh, uh, inexhaustible resource, all you got is you. All you have is you. And you know intrinsically that you are not enough. None of us are. I'm here to declare to you today that God is good all the time. So my question is not, do you believe that God is good? My question is, do you believe that God is only good no matter what the circumstance might declare to you? But you might say, but whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. What about Joseph? His brother sold him into slavery. What about, what about, what about Daniel who got condemned because he prayed to this God that you're talking about? What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Who also got condemned, thrown into a fire furnace because they refused to bow to a statue? What about Esther who had to sacrifice her life right after she got the best deal any Jewish girl could wish for? I can go on. Elijah who had to hide from a girl and let birds feed him. Abraham who almost had to give up, almost gave up having a son. God is good, but he hasn't given me a child. Noah was ridiculed for a hundred years because he was building something that the world has never seen to face a circumstance that the world had never experienced. Do you know while he was building the ark, that it did not rain on the earth? It rained the first time on the earth when he got into the ark. They didn't understand it. He got ridiculed. What the heck are you building, boy? What's that thing going to float on? Mary, who allowed God to make her pregnant, even though she knew that would cause everybody to think that she's a sinner. Think about that. Somewhere, somehow, these people had a conviction about the goodness of God that eventually, despite the circumstance, the goodness of God will shine through and it will either vindicate them, prove them right, save them, change them, or whatever the case may be. They weren't afraid to go through these hardships because they had an expectation that something is going to happen. Because God's goodness always backs up His word, always backs up His promises. God wants us to be able to be that powerful.
that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing, that we will know that He is good no matter what. And that if I keep believing in His goodness, that I will see it manifest in my life. Y'all, we're going to see God's goodness. We're going to see His goodness in this place. It's going to break through, and I just hope that you're there with me expecting it to receive it when it comes. And in many ways, we receive it every day, but we're also trusting Him for certain things to break open. We're trusting Him for certain things to resolve, sicknesses to disappear, eyes to open. We're trusting Him for these things. Let me tell you, when I, every day doesn't go by where I'm not, I'm not thinking about these things. and It's not weighing on my shoulders. And every day I'm, I'm in prayer. I'm in their intercession. Because I'm believing that these things are going to happen. We're going to see the goodness of God break through in your lives. And the only way I can carry and you can carry that burden for not seeing it right now is if you have a fundamental conviction that the goodness of God is going to change this matter. And it doesn't matter how long it takes. My goodness, 100 years. 25 years Abram waited. It doesn't matter how long it takes. Because the goodness of God is an eternal reality. It is not exhaustible. It does not expire. (laughs) And so as long as you keep Believing in it, it's going to work. It's going to come through. It's going to change things. So here's what I want to help you with today. The number one thing that causes us to lose our conviction in the goodness of God is this little thing called cynicism. Cynicism. Cynicism creates a numbness towards life. There is a very fine line between sarcasm and cynicism. Look, I like a little sarcastic joke, okay? Uh, uh, when, 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 I don't know how long sarcasm exists, but I know when we discovered it, um, <laughs> you know, and my parents were just horrified by all these, you know, sarcastic jokes. Like, you know, now, now my kids come home and they're like, no, 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 dad, no, no. Yes is no, and no is yes. And I'm just like, no, the Bible says yes must be yes. <laughs> but, you know, <clears throat> it's, it's just a little phase that they're going through. But what they're discovering is they're discovering sarcasm. Look, sarcasm can be so dry. And it can, it can be bone dry and it can wreck you and it can be fun. Let me tell you, you need to guard your heart because there is a fine line when sarcasm steps over in the wrong direction and becomes cynicism. Cynicism creates a skepticism in your heart and mind about everything that's going on. It causes you to always be looking for the hidden angle. Never trust anything. Try to find the cloud behind the silver lining. We're always suspicious of things, of people. We critique everything. Nothing is ever good enough. And rather than being engaging, we choose to disengage because why the heck bother? This is all for nothing anyways. It steals from us hope and joy and peace. And it makes us become bitter and, and, and almost <laughs> unbearable. <laughs> 
It paralyzes us. Because why even try? Why am I even going to try open up a new business? God's anyways going to make this one to fail too. Why am I even going to try to step out and, 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 and you know, do this thing of, of serving Jesus? You know, what's, what's, what, well, what's it going to lead to anyways? One person stated it this way. He said, I think we've built up scar tissue from our frustrations and because of it, we don't want to expose ourselves anymore. Fear of disappointment or hurt now constrains us. You got hurt in a relationship and you became cynical of men or of women. Why even try again? And now you can't ever find a new mate because you've lost hope in the goodness of God that He can provide you something that the Bible says is going to be good for you. Causes you to be distant. It destroys your intimacy with God the Father. If you're numb toward God, it's probably because you're cynical toward life. Can I say that again? If you're numb, if you're feeling numb toward God, it's probably because you became cynical toward life. Cynicism steals your intimacy. It's essentially the opposite of believing in the goodness of God. It's having faith in that things are probably going to go wrong. It's faith, but it's in the wrong direction. Instead of believing that things are probably going to resolve and turn out good, it's probably, going to, it's, it's probably not going to work. God wants to turn this around for us today. If you become cynical, you turn to self-preservation because now everything is up to your own strength, your own judgment, and you have to determine everything for your life, for your future. You see, a Christian who believes in the goodness of God is by definition a positive person. I want to challenge those of you who call yourselves realists. Are you really just a realist or are you actually become cynical? Have you lost your wonder about the power, the power and the possibility that there is in God and in a relationship with God? And have your reality become such a strong power, such a strong force in your life that now you cannot even take God's word serious anymore? Let me tell you something. Cynicism starts when we have optimism that is not found in anything. You see, what I, one thing I love about American culture is that when somebody tries to do something, you always have a choir of people telling them, you got this, you're going to get it, don't worry. I love that. But you know what? That used to be found in the place that God is good. It used to be found on the principle, on the premise that we serve a God that is on our side that's going to help us through this. But modern day you know, times, we've lost that notion that God is on our side and God is good. And, 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 and now we've started believing humanistically in the goodness of man. We've started believing that you got this. Why? Because, you know, man, we're, we're, we're intrinsically good. And it should work out for you because you deserve it. Why? Because you're a good person. 
There is no foundation in that that provides security for a person. And then when you are disappointed, guess what you don't are disappointed in? The goodness of man. <laughs> but you based your whole experience and your whole attitude towards life on the goodness of man. Why now go and say, now God did this to me? That's not intellectually honest. But if you have a conviction of the goodness of God, and things go rough and tough, you can still say, God's got you, and you've got this. Because eventually the goodness of God is going to break through for your life. Because He loves you, you're His child, He's, He cares for you, He's concerned for you, and He doesn't want you to go through what you're going through right now. That was not His plan. But since you're in it, He's going to take you through it. He's going to help you get to the other side of it. You see, we must reject this naive optimism that society sells us. And rather come back to the foundation of optimism, which is the goodness of God. And if you know the goodness of God in your life, you can be expectant of good things. And you can have a positive outlook on life. Because God transcends our reality. Some people have a problem with the fact that God is a supernatural being. I'm thankful that He's a supernatural being because for God knows that we need something bigger than this world to help us. Thank God I can't grasp Him fully and understand Him fully because if I could, then there's probably something in this world that was bigger than Him because there's certainly things in this world that I can't understand. Thank God He's bigger than this world. When cynicism starts getting a hold of our hearts, here's what starts happening to most Christians. We begin going through life by just putting on a good face and acting the part. How are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. No, you're hurt and highly favored. We attempt to fool others into believing that all is well and perfect. We hide the true condition that's going on the inside of our hearts. We end up becoming chameleons. At my work, I'm this guy. At my house, I'm this guy. On the golf course, I'm this guy. Because everywhere we have to hide the reality, hide the truth of what's going on inside of us to different people in different ways. We cease to be real. We become fake. We cease to be open and authentic and connect into true community and walk humbly and vulnerably with other people. And so we become numb and we lose all intimacy. We lose all connection. We lose all, all love and, 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 and nobody can love me because pff, they're probably going to turn their backs on me anyways, right? Can't receive it anymore. Can't trust. We've forgotten the true goodness and care of our loving Father who is always there. And we start feeling like we're walking alone. We just can't seem to connect with Him again. I want to let you know that the, this cynicism will even cancel the Word of God over your life. 
I mean, listen to what the Bible says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Think of that. And then ask yourself, are you able to receive that and believe it? Or do you have to go say, but in my life, or in my understanding, or in my experience, listen to what the Bible says. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now, if I have some, some cynicism sufferers in the house today, <laughs> we will listen to these words that come from where? The mouth of God. Because that's what the Bible is. It's God's word. It doesn't contain God's word. It is the word. It is now spoken to you. The minute it is read, it is like God is speaking these words to you. It's a, a, a living word. And he's saying this to you. Are you able to receive it or do you go, nah, can't be that good. It's probably not going to work. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Even now, cynicism draws on us to put a but after all of these verses, all of these promises. We just can't just take it and go, yes, Lord. So here's what I want to say to us today. We have to identify cynicism in our lives. One guy says it like this. He says, Probably all of us to a degree are cynicism sufferers. The problem is not that we suffer from cynicism. The problem is that we didn't know that it was a problem. We didn't know it was something that we needed to root out of our hearts. And we didn't know how it affected us. Well, today that ends. And today cynicism is going to die a very certain death in this house. So what are we going to do about this? Number one, we're going to repent of cynicism. Bible says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cynicism makes us double-minded. You hear the Word of God, you see the Word of God, you read it, you understand the Word of God, but you're unable to receive the Word of God because you doubt that it is actually true. That's what cynicism does to you. But if you reject cynicism and you start believing in the goodness of God, you hear this as saying, he's going to draw near to me. Think about that. If I draw near to him, he draws near to me. Can you receive that today? It's really a purifying that needs to take place. We've allowed the reality that we live in to challenge the Word of God um, and the truth about who He is. That's really what we've done. And so we've defiled our knowledge of God because we've been listening to the ideas and the objections of the world. And it's not necessarily people. It's just our experiences that we've had. Let me ask you this. What would have happened if Joseph 
rejected God right after being sold into slavery? Would he have become the, the leader of, that, of the free world at that time? Heck no, he wouldn't. And what would he be convinced of almost to this day if he was still alive? God's not good. But we know that's not how the story worked out. And so we have to challenge ourselves. Cynicism comes and challenges the reality that we've, or if reality comes and challenges the word of God, we have a decision to make, a very big decision. Friends of ours lived up the street from us in a city called Potsdam in South Africa. And one day they were broken into, held at gunpoint, and their stuff stolen. God gave me a word for them. I visited them and I said to them, you have to realize that this happened to challenge the truth of who God is in your lives. Don't fall for the lie. The lie is telling you you're vulnerable, you're unsafe, you almost lost your life. It's not true. You would have never lost your life. God was there the whole time. Don't let this situation challenge the truth that, you have experienced, uh, that, the, that your reality is challenging. Believe the goodness of God. Protect that thing like it's the biggest treasure that you have. You have to fight to keep the goodness of God in your heart. And not let your circumstances, your financial trouble, your relational struggle, let that dictate to you what you believe about who God is. You must let the word completely and purely define God for you. And stay connected and convicted of that. Listen to what God said to the church, Christians, in the book of Revelation chapter 2. He says, but this I have against you. You have abandoned your passionate love that you had for me at the beginning. How many of you gave your life to Jesus and for a season, it was just like, man, everything was right in this world. And now you find yourself just like, man, I don't know, really. Is it all real this much? I'm kind of going through the motions here. I, I, you know, I used to be so passionate and, and excited and joyful about God. And now I find myself just, I just cannot get excited. I, I, I don't experience God the way I used to. It's just difficult for me to connect with Him. Well, let me ask you this. Do you still put butts behind this statement, God is good? Because I can almost guarantee you that you are. Revelation 2 verse 5 says, think about how far you've fallen. And then he says, repent and do the works of love you did at first. Think of a new, newly in love couple. They can almost not see anything wrong with each other, right? Man, they're so much like me. <laughs> I love everything about them. Right? Do the works of love you did at first. What's he saying? He's saying, come back to your conviction of the goodness of God. We have allowed other opinions to grow in our hearts along with the opinions of the, world, of the word. Basically, faith is a battle of ideas. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. And then it says hearing what? Faith in Christ comes by hearing the message about Christ. It's an idea that gets told to us. 
And we test that idea and we verify that idea and we come to a conviction that that idea is true. It's reality. And then we put our trust in that idea by coming into agreement with it and basing our conviction on that from there on. Well, the same thing happens to all sorts of other ideas that we find and uh, we're confronted with in life. You go through a bankruptcy, you go through a divorce, you go through a death, you go through a, a whatever. Every one of those scenarios preaches a new message about God and your reality to you. And you have a decision whether you're going to completely com keep on believing the gospel or whether you're going to believe this new message that's being told to you. Okay? Matthew 13 verse 22 says this, The seed sown among weeds represents the person who receives the message of God, the seeds of the Word sown in his life, but all of life's busy distractions, and listen to this one, and his divided heart. His divided heart. And then his ambition for wealth results in suffocating the kingdom message. If you have doubts about God, if you have, it's because the kingdom message has been suffocated. There's been weeds growing in your heart. And you've allowed those weeds to grow alongside those opinions, to grow alongside the word that was implanted in your heart through your salvation. And it's time that you to get rid of those weeds because they're suffocating the seed of the kingdom that's in your heart, causing you to struggle to believe in the goodness of God. And because of that, you don't trust Him. You don't believe. You have no intimacy with Him. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's constant doubt. There's constant worry. Anxiety takes over your heart. It's time we rooted cynicism out of our hearts and minds, minds and mouths. Let me share with you an area of great concern that I have. Okay? <laughs> It's our next generation. I believe one of the reasons why kids are running away from church is because of the cynicism of Christians, adult Christians. Well, you know, kids these days, they don't, and then you go fill in the blank. You know, when we were kids, we would never fill in your blank. You know, I, I feel sorry for kids these days. You know? You know, this world has basically gone to the dogs. It's not worth even fighting for. You know, why should we still care, you know, about doing good to others? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my own. I'm going to take care of my own. Church isn't going to fix anything anyway, so why dedicate so much time to it? Let me tell you, the cynicism of Christians is one of the leading causes of kids not wanting to be a part of it. We lost our expectation of the goodness of God, and our kids hear it, they see it, and they act on it. Why should I go to youth? Dad believes more in my sporting career than he does in God to provide for my college. Why should I go to church? My parents believe that family time is more important. Why should I believe in God? Mom believes more in Lady Luck at the roulette table. Let me tell y'all, our cynicism is putting one of the biggest obstacles in front of our young people today. If you want to reach a generation, 
stop being cynical about them. You cannot reach what you despise. Let me share some personal journey that I went through. I've shared in my, you know, fair share of defeats in my faith walk. And um, when I started out in ministry, I set my life out on a mission to change the world one person at a time. That's my personal life motto. I invested 16 years of my life in reaching college students with the belief that if we change the campus, we will change the world. In 2015 and 16, I had the greatest disappointment when I saw practically all of our work go up in smoke, literal smoke, protests, where many of our students succumbed to Marxist ideologies and communist strategies to bring change, and they completely abandoned their Christian worldview, and some even abandoned their faith in God. This was in our ministry. Rocked my world. Rocked my world. What I expected and believed of the next generation was so fundamentally challenged. It literally caused me to go into a physical burnout to try and change it, to try and stop it and save it. A burnout that was so severe that I I did not fully recover from it. Even to this day, I still have vestiges of that burnout, that physical burnout. They say it takes five years for you to get. If you go through a true physical burnout, it takes you five years to recover from it. And then you never get beyond 90% of what you used to be. I feel it. I burned out trying to save the next generation. I had to make a decision whether I was going to become cynical of the next generation or whether I was going to put my faith in the goodness of God to see a generation rise up that will see God for who He is and start standing for that righteous stance amidst all of the other options and ideologies and philosophies that are out there to kill them and to steal them from the kingdom of God. And I stand here today completely and utterly convinced that God wants to raise up a generation of young people among us that will stand for His kingdom and will bring change to our society. I chose to believe in the goodness of God over our young people. And I'm inviting you, no, I'm imploring you. Drop your cynicism of the next generation and let's reach them for the gospel. Let's believe in them. That God's goodness can reach them and transform them into change agents that will bring His kingdom to this world. It's my absolute hope and desire that we will be a house where young people can see hope. Where young people can see a future for themselves in this place. Where young people have faith and guts to take on this world. And 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 the equipment training to their hearts and their minds. Mind you, we're going to have to work on their minds so that they don't become cynical about life and give up before they even start it. I had to repent of cynicism and ask God to forgive me for justifying my doubts and every promise of His Word. And you know what it took? It took a while. It took a while because my language was formed after a while about it. I, I, I became, became bitter and became, actually I was, just, I was just so disappointed. And it hurt. But I realized that there was no hope. 
<laughs> on the side of this cynicism. <laughs> there is just no hope there. But there is hope in the goodness of God. There is hope in the goodness of God. And slowly over time, God started restoring my, my heart, healing my soul of what happened. And I started confessing again my expectation of the goodness of God in the next generation. The more I let go of my cynicism, the more hope returned, the more healing I received, and the more feeling I regained. Let me tell you this, if you're feeling numb in your relationship with God, it's probably because you're cynical of the world. Or something that happened in your past caused cynicism to step into your heart. The more joy returned, the more my faith in God's promises was restored. And now I have just such a great expectation of what God is going to do through our young people. And I'm inviting you to step into that faith walk with me. You know, not too long from now. Not too long from now, there's going to be a throng of young people that we're going to invite into our church. There's a new college opening up in town and they're getting students to come and live in our city. And we have the opportunity to welcome more than 50, I don't know exactly how it's going to be, 50 to 80 or what it, students, young people into our church family. I don't know how many of them will stay. I don't know how many of them are going to want to make this their spiritual family, but I do know one thing. That our cynicism will make them check out faster than you can check out of a Chick-fil-A line. But if they will be met with hope and positivity, if they will hear us speak about the next generation with value and honor, let me tell you, they will stay. Because if you give them hope, they will stay. They will grab a hold of that hope and they will form their lives around that and they will get going on the kingdom of God and the growth in Jesus Christ. And that is my desire for our young people, that they will see hope when they're in our church. Not hear a bunch of cynical people that has given up on the goodness of God. I'm not saying that's what we are, but I hope that they don't see that. Because even their perceived reality still is their reality. And if they perceive us to be cynical, we've done nothing wrong maybe even, but they do, do see that. It's our job to change it. It's our job to, to change their perspective of who we are. That we are a faith people, a trusting people, a people that believe in the goodness of God and believe that we will see it not only for our generation, but for their generation and their generation that, that is going to come. So how can we regain what cynicism has stolen from us? If you find yourself in a place where you're struggling with suffering from cynicism, it's time we start retraining our minds. The first thing is thanksgiving. Let me tell you, there's such power in thanksgiving. James 1.7 says, Every good and perfect gift is from God. Coming from the Father of light, verse says, that does not change. Or show any variation. God is still good. And everything good thing that is in your life has been a gift from Him. Thanksgiving helps you to see the goodness of God existing in your life right now. Every single one of us have things that we can be thankful for. Every one of us has things that we can be thankful for. You know what? In the mornings when we drive... To school, we always have prayers of thanksgiving. That's how we start our day. 
And you know what, my kids will sometimes pray, and you know, sometimes it just becomes this refrain, but I've learned to actually not just dismiss those, those repetitive prayers. Thank you, Lord, for our car. Thank you, Lord, for our class. Thank you for our school. Thank you for my teacher. Thank you. You know what? Every single one of those things is a precious gift that one day I did not even have that. And I was trusting God for that. I'm praying for a car. I'm praying for a house. I'm praying for this and the next thing. And now I have it. I become so quickly used to it that I forget it's the goodness of God manifested in my life. But when I remain in thanksgiving, I remind myself that I did not once have this. But now I do because of the goodness of God in my life. Thanksgiving, an attitude of gratitude, constantly referring to God and saying, thank you for what you've done for me here. Thank you for how you did that for me there. Keeps you in the perspective. Keeps Him in perspective. God wants us to retrain our brains to focus on the good things that He has done for us, not to focus on the things that have not yet been done for us. If you focus on the good things that you have received, you solidify the goodness of God. And then you will see the goodness of God in the things that you are still trusting Him for. You know, sometimes we can allow one situation in our lives to completely redefine our experience in everything. Like I, I, had a, I had a fight with this guy and now all of a sudden, nothing is going well in my life. And you know, people do dumb things when nothing is going well. But their decisions is not based on the goodness of God. It's not based on the expectation that God is going to change it. God's going to uh, uh, restore it. Having a posture of thanksgiving positions us in that place where we will eventually see the goodness of God break through. Philippians 4 verse 8 to 9 says this, Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything that's excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about such things. And whatever you've learned from me, received, or heard in me, put it into practice. And then the God of peace will be with you. The third thing that we need to do is we need to retrain our minds to trust. Okay? Okay, listen to this. When you, when you got born again for the first time, you were a spiritual child. And, 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 and the beauty and the wonder of your new life with Jesus was so amazing and, and, and you had a childlike trust in him, and you would read the Bible, and you'd go, wow, that's amazing. It's, this, this is what God said to me, awesome. And then you become old, and you go like, well, uh, it's not really what he means. You know, it's more or less just to kind of make you feel a little better, but, you know, it's, life's just going to be tough, you know, and, you just got to hope for the best and expect the worst, you know. A child goes, my dad said it, settles, settles it. We need to regain that childlike trust. And it's a decision. It's a decision against cynicism and experience. Yeah, oh, it's so difficult, guys. 
to deny our experience the right to define to us how we feel, right? It's difficult. But God calls us to do it. Because as we do it, we solidify the goodness of God in our hearts and minds. And that creates in us the expectation that it's going to change. Isaiah 55 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways. For as, high as, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God has a perspective about what is going to happen. And, and we need to believe that His perspective is going, if I adopt His perspective, it's going to lead me to His outcome. But if I trust not in the Lord, and I do lean on my own understanding, the exact opposite of what Proverbs 3 would tell you, then we're left to produce our outcome. No wonder we're hopeless. Because <laughs> we know. I know my ability. And it's not that much. You know, Joseph was sold into slavery, but God had a plan. He did. God wanted to bring Joseph to that place without all that other junk, right? I just want you to know that. I just blew someone's mind. God wanted to bring Joseph to become a ruler without that. God, the brothers didn't sell, sell Joseph into slavery at God's instruction. You can't read that anywhere. They did it because of hatred and jealousy. Those are not the leadership methods of God. That was man's interaction. But God has a way to work around our stupidity and still affect His will in our lives. That's what makes Him sovereign. Not that He controls everything, but that in the midst of all the stupid decisions we make, He's still able to do <laughs> to bring the right outcome to bear on our lives. That's what makes Him sovereign. That's what makes Him all-powerful. Not that He can control you, but the fact that regardless of the fact that He cannot control you, He still makes all things come together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. That makes Him more powerful than a God that robotically can control everything. Because he has to deal with billions of wrong decisions. Try to lead a company like that. Paul was thrown in jail. But God had a plan. Jesus was hung on a cross. It's probably the one that was God's plan. But he inflicted that upon himself. Not on us. What if we started using this kind of language? Yeah, I lost, my I lost my job, but God has a plan. The goodness of God is going to come through for me. Yeah, that happened, but the goodness of God is going to come through for me. Like before Esther and I moved to Crowley, um, we were looking for a house in Jennings because we lived in Jennings before we moved here. 
uh, we were associate pastors at the Jennings campus before this church, this campus's pastor resigned and, and after eight months after that we finally realized that it's us that need to come here but in all of that time we were looking for a house in Jennings because um, our current landlord wanted to sell his and so we needed to find a new spot to land and let me tell you it's difficult to find a rental property for a family of six in this area it's real difficult um, and, uh, and so we were looking and looking. Uh, man, we literally st- turned over every stone. We, we called people. We tried. And, 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 you know, we became frustrated. Why can't we find a house, my goodness? Only to come and find out eight months later that we were not supposed to stay in Jennings. We're supposed to come live in Crowley, <laughs> right? And so I could have I c- I had such peace. I could have had such Happy-go-lucky, jolly, just like, you know, God's going to figure this out. The goodness of Bible didn't. <laughs> I was frustrated. And I was stressed out. And I was like, this, that, and the next thing. And the decision to come to Crowley was made, and it wasn't a month later. And we found the most amazing house in Crowley to be able to come live here and minister here. And I was just like, Oh, that was daft. I could have just had a wonderful existence up to this point. Instead, I was just like, you know, anxious and, 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 and worried the whole time. God, why are you not providing us a house? Because you're aiming in the wrong city, boy. <laughs> okay. Let's wrap it up. The last thing God wants us to do is to retrain our souls to take a breath. The goodness of God allows you to rest. Because your own effort is not the deciding factor here. It's not by your might or by your power. It's by the Spirit of God. I think if I rested... I. And, and, and <laughs> like we joked the other day, we were in a prayer meeting and Miss Diana, I need to, like, y'all, Miss Diana, I just need to let you know, if you need advice and counsel about something, that woman is like a walking theologian. She knows the word, okay? And she knows, wis- she knows how to apply the word of God. She's incredibly wi- wise. Um, y'all, y'all need a, you know, she's a resource to this church that we haven't touched, but um so Ms. Diana, we were praying, and I was here kind of sent by the Jennings campus to come and lead a prayer meeting. Um, um, and, uh, <laughs> and so Ms. Diana, I don't know if it was a point of frustration or like, you know, inspiration, but the bottom line is she looked at me while we were praying, and she told me, you need to be here. <laughs> it was Holy Spirit inspired, I'll tell you that, because... Because, you know, I, we were considering it, of course, you know, and we were looking to God to, to help us uh, come to a decision whether we should take this job or not. Um, and because uh, we didn't plan to, to do this when we, when we moved to the States. We literally just, we planned to be in Jennings for, for as long as we had visas and then go home. Um, and, uh, but God had another plan. And, 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 and I think if we'd just, maybe rested and said, all right, Lord, what you got for us? Where is your goodness leading us? 
definitely less stressful, and I think probably a little faster too, we could have realized that this is what God wanted for us. Take a breath. Tell your soul the goodness of God is going to come through for you. In, the, in Ezekiel um, 37, God takes the prophet to a valley of dry bones and, and he asks the prophet, can these bones live? Now, in my mind, I get this picture of, you know, uh, um, Pluto walking around with his bone dry bone, you know, it has nothing on it. I don't know why the dog still likes it, but anyway, he loves that bone. Just dry, white, bone dry bones and he says to them son of man can these bones live and Ezekiel is very clever he says Lord you know <laughs> um, and God says to him then prophesy prophesy over the bones that they will live he started speaking God's word over the bones let me tell you if you start speaking God's word over the dry, cynical places that you've come to in your life. If you would take the effort of taking the promises of God, meditating upon them, and confessing them out loud as if this is what your reality is going to be. If you start prophesying over yourself like that, this is what happens. God starts regrowing the muscle of His, um, of, of, of his perspectives around the bones. And the Bible says there was no breath in them. All of a sudden there were these bodies that grew tendons, muscles, organs, skin. But they were not alive yet. And God said to them, prophesy breath. Y'all, we need the Spirit of God, the pneuma of God. You cannot do this Christian walk without being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You will lose uh, your cynicism. You will lose your perspective of the goodness of God at some point. We need the breath of God to sustain this life that He has given us. You need to pursue the Holy Spirit. In two weeks from now, we're going to preach on the Holy Spirit. I want you to prepare your hearts. Because at that service, we're going to trust God that He will fill us. If you're ready and wanting it more sooner, come talk to us. But if you need to prepare your heart, go home, prepare your heart. Because on the 5th of June, we're going to trust God. It's Pentecost Sunday. And we're just going to use the natural rhythm to trust God for a supernatural move. That He's going to empower us with His Spirit to step into absolute conviction that He is good. But you need to start prophesying life over yourself. The breath of God is the Spirit of God that brings life to His Word. And we do it by, by coming into these moments where, where we're led in worship. And the Spirit of God is so ready to move on our hearts. But we're too busy fidgeting with, you know, our phones and our keys and our things. Guys, I want to encourage you. When the worship starts, tune in. Engage. The Spirit 
of God is available and desirous to transform you from the inside out. He wants to lift you up out of your struggle, out of your anxiousness, out of your depression. He wants to lift you up so that you can see the goodness of God again and experience the truth about God. That He's your Father and that He's good and that you are not going to succumb to this whole thing that you're going through. It is not going to determine the outcome of your life. It is not going to define your next step. It is not going to set your direction. Only the Word of God will do that and the truth of God will do that. So let's all stand today and I want to pray over us. God wants to restore us by restoring faith in His goodness here today. So let's go ahead. If you know of areas in your life that you have allowed cynicism to just control your thinking and control your speaking, I want you to start telling that to God in, in repentance. Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that I did this. Change my mind. Change my speech. Change my thinking about that area. Let's go ahead. Let's just connect with God for a little bit. Just confess things that you know you used to say, things that you that you that typically just reveal your your cynicism struggle and just bring that before the Lord here today and I want to give you a minute to just spend time thinking and reflecting upon that just make a commitment to get rid of those cynical statements those cynical beliefs those cynical approaches to things and then to commit Lord, we're sorry. We're so sorry that we doubted your goodness, God. We're so sorry, God, that we allowed life to tell us what to believe about you. Heal our perspective with your word. Heal our perspective with your spirit. Lord, we commit to 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 to, to to, to banishing any cynical thought that arises and speech that might flow from our mouths. Lord, we pray that you help us put a guard in front of our mouths so that we will only speak what your word says is true. Even if we doubt it all the way to where it happens, but we commit to speaking it and, 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 and rather giving you the benefit of the doubt. We pray, God, that that is how we will operate. I pray, Lord, that you give us all an incredible desire to see the next generation reached and raised up as kingdom change agents in this country. Help us bring conviction to our hearts, Lord, when we speak cynical about young people. Help us to communicate hope belief, vision, destiny over their lives. That they might see a hope. That they might see the great things you've got in store for them. That they might see the great successes that are lined up for them to walk into to glorify your name. That they might see the immense influence that they will have on this culture. That they might see the power that you're going to raise them up in to be agents to speak of your truth. And to bring other people to repentance. To help other people become born again. 
Lord, I pray you raise up among us, Father, church planters from our youth, God, youth ministers, leaders, children's church pastors, worship leaders, God, I pray that you will move on our young people to see their ministry, to see their destiny, their purpose, Lord God, and give them the faith, Lord, to start standing up and say, I will be counted, I will step into my purpose. Let them see that they are here for a reason. They're not dead weight. They are the next potentials. They are the seeds for our future. If you're a young person here, I need you to repent of cynicism toward your own generation. Stop saying that we're not worth anything. Stop believing that you're not good enough for being counted. Stop saying things about yourself that, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I'm too shy. Oh, I'm too, I'm not powerful enough. I'm not popular enough. I'm not beautiful enough. Stop saying those things in the name of Jesus. You are made in the image of God with an incredible, powerful destiny in your life. Reject the cynicism that your generation might share with you about you and receive the word of God here today that will empower you to become everything that He has made you and that He has purposed for you to become here. There's a hope for you. There's a plan for you and it's good. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. It's going to add value to your life. It's going to tell you you're worth it. But you won't find that in the world. You'll find that in the goodness of God. So connect with the goodness of God, young person. I implore you, connect with the goodness of God. Thank you, Holy Spirit.